Please turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 4. Jeremiah, what's the general context of Jeremiah? Anybody? Right, but not yet though. Follow Jerusalem. So at the very end, right, you, you've got Babylonian exile. All right, Jeremiah is, you know, Jeremiah's warning of the Babylonian exile. Ezekiel is in the Babylonian exile. All right, Isaiah, the first part is warning about the the Assyrian exile. All right, last part, very much about like the return from the Babylonian exile. And so, you know, your prophets are in different contexts. So Jeremiah, when we read in chapter 4, the exile has not yet happened. uh, But it is upcoming. Because they actually did not listen to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah chapter 4. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence, and do not waver... And if you swear as the Lord lives in truth and justice and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him and in him they shall glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah in Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among the thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. They did not, as it turns out, break up their fallow ground, and they did, in fact, sow among thorns. And God did, in fact, come forth like a fire and burn with none to quench it. If you read further on in the book and know the history. Now turn to Mark chapter 4, if you would. In Jeremiah, the prophet speaks, warns them, do not, do not sow the seed. In other words, do not put your labor towards a field that is choked with thorns. All right. Jeremiah, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 4. We'll read a a large section here. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And this, in this case, would be Jesus. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on land. And he was teaching them with many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it has no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Who here has been involved in a garden in the past? Okay? A little bit of gardening. Gardening is very important to understand this. All right? Uh, If you take... This is a metaphor if you were to, I mean, it is, it's an image. If you were to take some seeds and you were to go out into the road in front of your house and you were to throw the seeds on that road, right, this is not going to succeed. 
if you have a place that's mostly rocks and you throw some seed there, then you've got the other image where you've got very shallow soil. All right. One of the problems with shallow soil is if you have shallow soil, there's no access to water other than on the very surface. And so therefore, if you if it starts to grow there. All right. That's fine until the sun comes out and it doesn't rain every day. Well, there's no water. And so therefore, the things die. Now, the thorns here, uh, we're going to spend a little bit more time on this for reasons that will be obvious in a moment. Thorns. How do thorns and thistles and weeds play into this? All right. Have you ever worked in a garden that had weeds? Okay. So once weeds come in your garden, it's over, right? (laughs) You might as well at that point go, well, might as well dig up my tomato plants. There are weeds, in fact, here now. It is it is all the way. Is that the case? No, actually, right? Um, the, you could just take the weeds out, right? Now, that's the thing about a garden. It does take some effort, all right? Uh, my garden at home is flourishing, all right? Flourishing entirely too much, actually, because I don't put enough effort into it. It is like a jungle in our little <laughs> garden. Um, you know, every year I tell myself, Eric, this is going to be the year that you're good at pruning your tomato plants. And this was not, in fact, that year. So, okay, so it's not an ideal garden. Mm -hmm. However, I have had to remove weeds from it, all right? And so in this particular case, uh, if you think about this, all right, weeds are naturally going to come up in gardens, and a good gardener is going to remove those weeds. Uh, Why? What's, What's bad about weeds in a garden? They're competing for the water. They're competing for what else? Nutrients. Nutrients. What else are they competing for? Sun, right? Water, nutrients, sun. I mean, that's that's just about all that plants need, right? Water, nutrients, sun. Okay. You can take out the weeds, and that's not a problem. All right? If the weeds are too high and sun doesn't get to the plants, the plants, their growth is stunted. This is a metaphor, obviously, for how do you receive the good news of God, all right? In the mouth of Jeremiah, it's not necessarily good news in that case. How do you receive the, how do you receive the warning of God, all right? Don't sow among thorns, all right? Break up the ground, all right? Be a good farmer, fix up the area before, and then sow there, right? In Jesus' parable, it's not so much of an active gardening thing. It's just like, let's talk about the qualities of things. And in this particular case, well, let's, let's see what Jesus has to say. So uh, continuing on in Mark chapter 4, verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. 
and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. The main difference here between those those where the seed is sown among the thorns, all right, and those not, is you can see there is an active element. Right? By, by the people on the thorny ground. They, it's, it's a choice. It is a choice. They are very much interested in the world and the deceitfulness of riches. All right? And those things choke the word. If you would turn now to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. We don't live in an agrarian culture, but everyone who read these books for hundreds of years, thousands of years, lived in an agrarian culture, right? Because it is a relatively modern change to not live in that sort of culture. And so everyone, I think, would have totally gotten, right? Unless you were super spoiled, you would totally get, in, you would get all of these images and these ideas quite easily because, well, you're familiar with gardening. Here we have the author of the Hebrews, he's going to use the same image. So we've been discussing through Hebrews, and the last section, all right, we discussed last Lord's Day, and that was about talking about Jesus as Melchizedek, Jesus as high priest after the order of Melchizedek as opposed to Aaron, and some of the things that are greater about Jesus and his priesthood than Aaron's. Now, this was in the context of apostasy, as we discussed last time. Because in chapter 4, there's a sermon on a psalm, essentially. He exegetes a psalm and the concept of rest. And he warns those who are either reading or more likely listening to the book of Hebrews, because most would not have a copy, all right? Those listening to the book of Hebrews, based on this psalm, all right, and this basic notion is God was going to give the people, the land of Israel, as a place of rest, but Joshua did not give them rest. They never experienced true rest. And we know this because the psalmist, all right, hundreds of years later, the psalmist warned the Israelites again, you must have faith and follow God to enter rest. And the author of the book of Hebrews just continues on the same thing now. All right. You do not, we have not entered into rest fully. We must persevere if we want to enter God's rest. That's very much the message of uh, chapter four. The part then about Jesus Right after that, where Jesus, as the Melchizedekian priest, as the priest greater than Aaron, that builds on that because Jesus, all right, is our example of someone who persevered, all right, and ultimately was perfected in death. That's part of his argument. All right, what's what's unique about Jesus? All right, well, there's lots of things unique about Jesus. Uh, one, he didn't have to have to offer a sacrifice for himself because he had no sin. Another thing about him in the fact that it was his humanity, his humanity was completed in death. 
because it is something of the nature of fallen humans that we all must die. His humanity was completed in death. But most importantly, all right, because all humans die, his humanity was perfected in faithful death. Right? Death to the end. And even on the cross, praying to God, praying to God in faith that God would raise him from the dead. All right? So Jesus, following, all right, following the path that men should follow, but all fail to, all right, living an entire sinless life and ending in faithful death. Now we come back once again to apostasy, all right, because this is a major emphasis in the book of Hebrews. And to define the term, apostasy means ultimately to leave the faith, all right? If you sin, you are not an apostate. That, that's, well, that's sinning, and God forgives that, all right? An apostate is someone who, uh, as we will see, ultimately fully rejects the faith. And the author of Hebrews is trying to encourage his readers slash listeners to not be apostates. And by reading it, we should encourage ourselves to not be apostates. So let's read the warning. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, following immediately after Jesus being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this, meaning I think about the discussion of uh, Jesus of Melchizedek, we have much to say, and he will say it uh, and to a much more detailed degree a little bit later in the book. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the words of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washings and laying of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. 
so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. His second discussion of apostasy, not his last in this book, it will come up once again. I want to start by looking at the very first verse and the very last verse. There's something here to notice that's very important. Because it really frames the whole thing. And uh, I will uh, need to take advantage of your multiple translations at this point. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain. Since you have become something of hearing. What do you have? Dull. Dull. Alright. I have dull. That's the ESV. What else do we have? Because I know there's other options, I think. Maybe not in our translations today. Do we have anything other than dull? Sluggish. Sluggish. What translation is that? Net. Okay, cool. We will find something that is unique about the Net Bible translation today, which is beneficial. Um, anybody have anything other than dull and sluggish? I have lazy. That's Holman. Lazy. Okay, lazy. Uh, I didn't check the Holman. I'd be interested to see what, what word we have when we get to verse 16. So if we look at these, right, we've got lazy, dull, and sluggish. Okay. What's the word that corresponds to this in verse 16 of chapter 6? Yes, verse 12. Thank you. Thank you very much. Lazy was a Holman. Okay, sluggish. Uh, KJV has sluggish, I believe. Slothful. Okay, well, let's see. In the first one, KJV had what? Sluggish? Okay. KJV had dull. Okay. KGB has dull, and then later it has sluggish, okay? Slothful, okay. NKJV has sluggish. See, I, don't, I have this written down in my notes, but, but that's way over there. And that's, um, that makes things difficult. So dull and slothful. Uh, ESV had dull and what? Sluggish. Sluggish, thank you. All right, um, Holman Christian. Lazy again. Sluggish and... Lazy and lazy. All right, sweet. (laughs) NIV is lazy also. NIV, what does it have for the first one? Lazy. So we're on 12. In the first chapter 5. 5.11. 5.11. Slow to learn. Slow. Okay. So NIV had slow and what was the last one then? Lazy. Lazy. Okay. And that is sluggish, sluggish. Sluggish, sluggish. There are two translations that win. Net Bible and the Holman. They win. All right. And they win because this whole 
This whole passage is about that. All right? And you miss that if you happen to be reading a translation that doesn't use the same word in both, because it is actually the same word. And so they, they tie these together, which is very helpful for the Holman and for the Net Bible. All right? This is about sluggishness, all right? Or laziness, or being dull, I guess, all right? The whole idea of, right, the first one, dull of hearing, means you can't, you, you're not really hearing it very well, I guess, all right? Hard of hearing, you might say. But the whole idea is really to be lazy of hearing, all right? He's critiquing them, and he's saying in 5.11, we have much to say about this, but you have become lazy about listening, all right? You've become lazy about listening to us. Or in the end, all right, in verse 12, so that you may not be lazy, but imitators of those who faith and patience inherit the promises. This is not talking about a condition uh, that you're just kind of stuck with, right? I don't hear quite as well as I used to, and I'm just kind of stuck with that. This is not about that. This is about an activity, all right? You people are being lazy in listening, you people are being lazy, and you're not being imitators of those who inherit the promises. And so that's, that's the discussion that's going on here. This is entirely active, all right? This is, he's not having the discussion with them as just as they have nothing to do with this. Well, I'm sorry, you're just, you're just not well. No, it's you're lazy, okay? So let's go and go through this piece by piece and talk about it a little bit more detail. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become lazy in your hearing. All right. So, as we mentioned earlier, the, about this we'll have more to say, Melchizedek. That is very much the topic of half the book. All right. Yeah. Let him hear. Yeah. Absolutely. Verse 12. For though by this time, all right, you ought to be teachers. All right, this right here should tell you this is not just a, a malady that they can't get over. All right, he's blaming them. All right, he's fully putting the responsibility on them. For by this time, you ought to be teachers. You, um, you need, all right, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. All right? You should not be a, a teacher when you haven't even learned the basics of a thing yet. Right? That's kind of obvious. And that's basically his point. All right? You should know the basics of the oracles of God. You don't because you're lazy. You need milk. Now he switches images. No longer, we're no longer talking teachers. We're talking babies. All right? You need milk. Not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Notice it's not disabled. All right? It's not disabled. Often being disabled is something you can't do anything about. All right? Unskilled. Can you do something about being unskilled in something? Yeah. You can receive training. You can train yourself. All right? Solid food is for the mature, but for those, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So he's critiquing these fellows here. All right? What's, what's your problem, people? You're lazy. 
you should know the basics of the scriptures, of the oracles of God. That's what it's talking about. All right? And primarily that's going to re- refer to the Old Testament for these folks. Right? You should know the basics of your Bible. You don't know the basics of your Bible. I have to start over with the basics with you because you're basically a baby. All right? You can't handle the real stuff, the solid stuff. And so I'm just going to feed you a little milk because you have no teeth. All right? You have not grown up. How do you, how do you grow up? Well... Well, it's for the mature, yeah, those who, for their, with their powers of discernment, trained, right? What you said, exercise, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, all right? It's a very active thing, talking to them. There's something here that we ought to keep in mind, all right? We know there is more to the Christian life than what we know, right? There is, certainly. All right, you can know a great deal and still become an apostate. However, knowledge, all right, knowledge is something we must all search for. Knowledge is something we must all try to train for and practice for. All right? We are all called to not be babies when it comes to the basics of Scripture. All right? They all, everyone who's listening to this, there's no indications of this that this was just for like ministry training or something. This is to a church, all right? Or a group of churches. It's a general group of Christians. You all ought to be able to teach this this basic stuff, but you can't because you're lazy, all right? You ought to have practiced. Now, something we need to ask, all right? And that's very much related to this because... As we know, we're going to come back to the topic of laziness. What's the relationship between apostasy and intellectual laziness? All right? Something good to ask. And by intellectual laziness, I don't mean generally speaking. I mean specifically in your study, in your Bible study. Is there any relationship between the two? Given what's going on here, I would say most certainly yes. So let's move on to chapter 6. Therefore, all right, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. All right, he wants them to move beyond the elementary things and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and instructions of washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. All right, these are basic things. And you can also tell right here that he's definitely reading his Old Testament. Um, one reason why is, like in the New Testament, there's not a whole lot of instructions on washings. Uh, there's certainly more in your Old Testament. And so he's talking about Old Testament exegesis here. All right? Can you pull out of the Old Testament what they were trying to say about washings, about laying on of hands, about the resurrection of the dead, and about eternal judgment? Can you, as a Christian, pull those things out? And this we will do if God permits, meaning move on in his teaching. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, right, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying, once again, the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up for contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful 
to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Let's start from there and work a little bit backwards. All right. What's the case? What's the situation? Who are we talking about? All right. Is this talking about you? All right. Is this talking about me? All right. It's just talking about you and it's talking about me. And I think this is part of his message. All right. At the end is and that is how do you know you have entered into God's rest? Based on chapter four, I would say you will ultimately be assured all right. When you make it to the end. All right. You make it to the end. Who made it to the end? Jesus made it to the end. You need to persevere like him. This is this is this is the garden metaphor once again. All right. If you get thorns in your garden, what do you do? You tear them out. But if you don't, what happens? The garden gets worse and worse. Eventually, the garden is worthless. All right? And going back to verse 8, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. All right? So if we think about a person, all right, and their life and their faith, all right, or lack thereof, all right, what's the situation here? We seem to have somebody who is receiving good things, all right? They're receiving rain was the was the was the in the verse before that, right? Receives rain, which is obviously necessary for a garden. And in the previous verse it was and produces lots of fruit. Alright? But what happens if you receive rain, but then you let thorns overgrow everything? What good is the field? Alright? Well ultimately this is something that's worthless in the in the end. So this is not talking about someone potentially now, this is talking about someone over their life. All right? What does someone do when he's talking to these, whoever these were, this was written to? All right? What's going on? What's the nature of their life? All right? When they experience all these good things, which we'll work back to in a second, what gets produced? Good fruit? Or is it just ultimately a field of weeds which are near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. All right? So there's the sequence. Near to being cursed, you see someone that's life is entirely full of thorns. And then, as we learn later in the book of Hebrews, there is ultimately for man destined at one point, everyone must die. And at that point comes the judgment. That's this, all right? Same thing. We just haven't seen that verse yet. Thorns, thistles, and in the end, what's the final state of the garden? All right? The final state of the garden is it is worthless and it is near to being cursed. And when in the final state is ultimately there and it is time to be judged, it is time to reap. All we see are thorns and thistles. What do we do? Just burn it all destroy it all because there's nothing useful there. So we start with that. This is talking about a final state. All right. And I want to focus on that because what we don't want, the way we don't want to read this. All right. Is this is not about an individual committing a sin. All right. This is not about you because you will sin. All right. It's, a, it's not about you committing a sin. It's about 
a human committing sins and never doing anything about it. It's about a human living in sin, all right, and never trying to weed sin out of their life. It is a human that, even though they might have received great things, by the end of their life, everything that could have been good and godly is dead. And in the end, there is only thorns and thistles. What use is this? It is none. It is a field that is meant to be burned. So that's the context. Now let's move one verse before that. Here's the positive case. And this, as it turns out, is, is what is, uh, the author here is hopeful for those people. And we should be hopeful for each other as well. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. All right? Now, this is what we want. All right? We want a field. We want to be a field that frequently receives the good things of God. And then at the end, what happens? We have a crop. And it's useful for those whose sake it is cultivated. All right? That's what we want. We don't want one that has thorns and thistles. All right, let's now back up again. Let's go back to verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Okay. So, this person, we can say this very clearly from that general description, is someone who has been within the context of the people of God. Right? That's clearly the idea here. All right? So in some way, whoever these are, however it works in terms of a doctrine of salvation, all right, they have been, in some sense, enlightened. Have they not? That's what it says. They have, in some sense, tasted the heavenly gift. Right? They have, in some sense, shared in the Holy Spirit. And they have tasted the goodness of the Word of God all right, and the powers of the age to come. And then, have, and then have fallen away. This is not about those who are just out in the world. That's not who this is about. All right? So we should not read this as, oh, this is just talking about outsiders. This is not written to outsiders. All right? Based on this description, this is written to insiders. All right? We're insiders. This message is for me, all right? And this message is for you. So, whatever is the situation here, these are people who have received a great deal of things, all right? A great deal of things. And their field has received much rain, all right? And what's going to happen? Are they going to grow useful fruit? Or, over time, where there will be thorns and weeds grow up, such that at the end, there is no fruit. Right? That's the metaphor we're going to. But what does it look like when we're not talking metaphor? Right? That's when we need to go to verse 6. And then, after having experienced all those good things, have fallen away. Right? 
It is impossible. Going back to verse 4. All right. It is impossible. Skip to 6. For those who have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. All right. Those who are outsiders cannot crucify once again the Son of God and hold Him up to contempt. All right? This is not about outsiders. This is about insiders. What would it mean to crucify the Son of God once again and hold Him up to contempt? I think the context is basically this. It's people who are in the church who they get a taste of the Holy Spirit because they're around it and the believers. All right? They get a little, they get a vision of the powers of the age to come. Alright? They get a taste. Alright? They see it. They're around it. Alright? They take it in. They think, wow, this is great. Alright? But then they reject it. And they say, no. No. Alright? We see Jesus lifted up, glorious. They see Jesus and say, no. All right? They see Jesus, all right, because they experience him within the church. They see Jesus and they say, Nope. Don't want that. Alright? I see good things. I feel the good things. And the answer is no. I am instead going to pursue the lust of the flesh, money, whatever. Alright? This is the apostate. And the message of the author here of the book of Hebrews is for someone who has finally and ultimately experienced the church, experienced all the good things of God. And at some point in their life, they come and say, it's all bogus. Jesus was just a guy. All right? None of this is real. And then... They live their life of sin and their field is full of thorns. And by the end, there's nothing but thorns. What's the message? Well, they are near to being cursed. And their end is ultimately to be burned. That's the, the terrifying message of the book of Hebrews. This is a message, to be clear. This is a message to those inside. All right? Those who come to the church... All right, who might be lazy? All right, who think, oh, just coming here is fine. He has a different message for you. Just showing up is not fine, actually. Uh, what means if you if you just kind of show up and you don't, by practice, discern what is true and live by it, then here's the bad news you're going to maybe be worse off than the outsiders. Right? Because you've seen the good things of God and you reject it. We have... There is in, in Baptist circles this idea of once saved, always saved. It's, it's very much an extremely watered-down version of the truth, which is the perseverance and preservation of the saints. All right? uh, the once saved, always saved notion all right, is just simply that... And I've growing up Southern Baptists, heard about it all the time, and had all sorts of instances of 
people active in the church, and then what happens? They stop coming. Their field is full of thorns. All right, but at the end, everybody's like, "It's okay." When that person was a kid, they had a profession of faith. Sure, the last 60 years have been nothing but thorns and thistles. Um, book, the author of the book of Hebrews does not know. I mean, they are, they are close to being, they're near to being cursed. All right? We don't believe in that notion. We believe in the perseverance and preservation of the saints. All right? Sometimes we use one word versus the other. The basic notion is this, all right? And this gets back to Hebrews chapter 4, the clear message there. Perseverance is necessary, all right? Now, if you sin right before you die, all right, are you damned? No, that's not the message, all right? Clearly, the message here is, is, what are we talking about here? We're talking about people who have ultimately rejected Christ, walked away, and grown a field of thorns and thistles. That's what we're talking about here. All right? And the only way, if you take chapter 4 and you take chapter 6, all right, and the only way you ultimately know all right, where you are is if you stop being lazy. All right? And you're active. And you, by constant practice, discern what is good and then do it. So by the end... When you get to the end, you can say, as Paul would say, I have run the race, right? That's the message of Hebrews. I totally believe that God will preserve his saints to the end. And I think the message of Hebrews is this how he does it. One of the aspects of God's preservation of the saints, all right, is our perseverance. That's part of it. And that's the message of Hebrews. But the message of Hebrews is not here to give you the warm and fuzzy of it's okay. The message of Hebrews is you need to not be lazy. All right? Because laziness now could lead to thorns and growing in your garden. All right? And if you continue to be lazy, you could have more thorns growing in your garden. And if you keep being lazy, eventually they might choke out the word of God the message of the gospel. And then ultimately in the end, even though you have, let me repeat, let's see, been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, yet in the end, you fall away. And then what you do when you've experienced all those things and fall away, you crucify once again the Son of God. To Jesus' harm? No. Alright? Crucify the Son of God to their own harm and holding them him up to contempt. Alright? All this is is self-destruction. That's what he's talking about. All this is is self-destruction. So, going back to the beginning of chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, and of instructions about washings and laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. If God permits, and if you persevere. Verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. 
a little breath, a little sigh of relief. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same urgentness and have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The author, whoever his readers were, all right, he apparently knew them. All right? This doesn't sound like just a generic benediction. I assume he knows them. All right? um, he, he was confident. All right? He was confident that they would make it to the end. All right? He was confident that they would be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Notice so much emphasis on the long haul. All right? Salvation is not a, it's over and done. All right, it's the long haul. Who through faith and patience inherit the promises? And if we think about inheriting promises, what does this go back to? This, this pulls us back to Joshua. Right? This pulls us back to where we were talking about in chapter 4. All right? What is necessary? Faith all right, and patience with the faith. Long faith, not short faith. All right, what does short faith look like? Well, short faith looks like something that's planted and grows and very exciting at first and then dies when something bad happens. What else does bad faith look like? It looks like something that will work, but then, well, somebody just lets sin grow in their life until it's over. It's basically crowded out everything else. And ultimately, at the end, you look at the garden and go, this is worthless. All right. And its destiny is to be burned. But he was confident about them. And let's. Let's look at some of these words real quick. What's their nature? All right, because we're going to talk about it more this afternoon. What is the nature of these people? All right. How do you avoid apostasy, in other words? Verse 10 For God is not so unjust to overlook your work. One aspect. All right. One aspect of them is that they work. All right. They're not lazy or sluggish or slothful. All right. God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. God notices these things. It would it would be unjust for God. All right? It would be unjust for God to condemn someone who truly loves and serves the saints, right? We're here to we're here to serve God and serve the saints. It would be unjust for God to condemn us for that. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, right? So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, right? That's what's required for us. We should be working. We should be active. We should not be babies, all right? We should not be lazy and slothful. We are those who work towards the faith. So this afternoon we'll come back. We're going to specifically focus on the idea of work towards discernment. All right? That's what we're going to focus on, Lord willing.